Welcome to Matthew Felix On Air, coming to you from San Francisco, California. People who create, people who make a difference. Hope you had a great week. I spent a lot of it in the bathtub, uh, praying I didn't get electrocuted while I filmed some promotional clips for my new book, Porcelain Travels, which is out on 11.11. And uh, the easiest way to describe Porcelain Travels, as I, I did last week, but I'm going to explain it again, and I'm going to explain it a lot between now and uh, November when it comes out. But the easiest way to explain Porcelain Travels is uh, the subtitle, which is Humor, Horror, and Revelation in, on, and around toilets, tubs, and showers. Now, as I said last time as well, it's, it's a book that I wrote by popular demand by friends and family saying, when are you going to publish those stories? When are you going to publish those stories? I wasn't ever planning on publishing these stories, but finally I, I decided if people are still talking about them, then I should just do it. And I'm really excited now that the book is about to see the light of day. I am planning a very special episode here, and that's what that previous picture was of me in the bathtub. Um, it's kind of a not a very good quality picture, so I didn't I didn't leave it up for long. But um, that and that's what I was referring to when I've said I spent the past two days in the tub. I'm filming for that episode of this podcast that's going to take place, uh, I guess, in two weeks, which would be when Sunday, November fourth. Um, and I really plan on having a lot of fun with it. But that's when I'm going to sort of officially present. Porcelain Travels to the world, or at least the part of the world that listens to and watches this video podcast. So again, two weeks from now, November, Sunday, November 4th, please tune in for that. Um, last night, I got to read a story from Porcelain Travels at the Traveler's Tales event at Lit Crawl, the culmination of this year's Litquake Festival. And I read my story, Let It Flow, which won first place for humor in this year's Solas Awards, which were put on by Traveler's Tales, which is why I got invited to read. And I was in great company, fellow Solas Award winners and Matthew Felix on Air alumni, Savani Babu and Sabine Bergman read, as did incredibly accomplished writer and ethical traveler founder Jeff Greenwald, author Carla Gambessia, and last but not least, Traveler's Tales founder Larry Haberger. It was a great event. There was a great turnout. And I just want to thank Larry and Traveler's Tales for the opportunity. I also want to thank, of course, Litquake and uh, also House Coffee for letting us have the event uh, in, their, in their cafe. Uh, I, I, I also have to uh, thank somebody else, which I did in the introduction to my, uh, to my reading last night. But yesterday I had to take the train from the, from the peninsula back up to the city. And for those who aren't local, the peninsula is down south. And uh, there was there were no seats available. There was just one seat available. So I sat down, <coughs> excuse me, sat down next to this woman, and we ended up striking up a conversation. And we ended up talking for the whole hour and a half that it took to get from San Francisco. We had to leave the train and take Bard, and it took a while. And we just talked the whole way. Had a great conversation. Her name is Maxine. Well, over the course of the conversation, I mentioned that I was reading last night or that night uh, at this Traveler's Tales event that I just got done describing. Lo and behold, fast forward a few hours and. Who shows up? None other than, Max, than Maxine, her daughter, her daughter's partner, uh, two family friends, and or maybe they were family members, I'm not sure, and even Maxine's four-month-old granddaughter. So that was just so cool, and I was so touched and so appreciative. Uh, so Maxine, if you're watching or listening, thanks again for showing up. You're awesome, and it was great meeting you and your family. Besides reading, I was uh, able to, to attend two other events last night at the Lit Crawl. So I, I mentioned last week or week before, whenever, that Lit Crawl is actually split up into three sessions. So there's the first session, the first hour, second hour, and the third hour. So the first session, I attended uh, Bay Area Generations and the Beat Goes On event, 
where poet and so much more, Nahid Fatahi, who was on my show a few weeks back, uh, read a few of her poems, beautiful, inspiring, empowering poems. And she was there alongside uh, some other great poets, including Genevieve Lim and Mo Sati with Daniel Hafez on saxophone. And it was really cool how um, both of them, so what they do with this, uh, what's it called again, Generations, what did I just say, Bay Area Generations, it's it's a reading series. And what they do is they pair up different generations of poets. And so this particular pair, Genevieve and Mo, had this uh, saxophone player accompanying them, and it was a really cool way to do a, poet, a poetry reading. Then A.O. Douglas, or Dugas, I'm not sure how you pronounce his last name, read with Nahid, and uh, again, they, they did a great job. And Tongo, Tongo Eisen Martin and Chris Peck, which is a duo also known as Lone, just gave a really intense, really powerful performance slash reading. Um, well, not a reading. They, he did it all just from memory. It was really, really impressive and... Uh, And yeah, the whole event was just a great one. So that was the first hour. And oh, I also wanted to say the event was held at Harrington's Gallery, which is a home furnishing store. So it was great to have this massive space of couches and chairs and furniture for all of us to just um, hang out on to listen to the to the uh, to the readings because it's not always like that a lot of these spaces are very impromptu so um and there were so many people which was also great it was packed so thanks again to harrington's for hosting the event in the second session i stopped by 826 valencia's event where programs coordinator shelby dale deweese who was also on my show quite a while ago a couple months ago a few months ago uh she hosted an event with a bunch of really young kids and i'm not sure what their ages were but i mean maybe 9 10 11 um, they got up and they read their work in front of a room full of at least 100 people. I mean, they're, I don't know, 150 people. Again, a really big room. And it was just so uh, touching and adorable to see these kids, you know, expressing themselves, having the bravery to get up in front of this big room full of people, read their own stuff. And so kudos to the kids, kudos to 826 Valencia for, for doing that, providing those kids with the opportunity. Um, another great event. Lit Crawl was not the only Lit Quake event that I was able to attend this week. Wednesday, I attended my first ever literary death match, which, of course, I discussed at length here on uh, last week's episode. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Event producer Matthew DeCoster uh, pulled off a flawless event. I was also genuinely impressed with Adrian Todd Zuniga, who's the host. And I get now why he travels around all over the world being the host of all of these events versus having a whole bunch of different hosts because he was really just masterful as the master of ceremonies. And um, I mean, he's hosted something like 500 events, so he should be good. But I I was just really impressed with him and his uh, he was funny. He was charming. He got out of the way when when the event needed to take place and then appeared when when he needed to be there. So anyway, I I just uh, really appreciated and, and thought he was great. The judges were great. The participants were great. And of course, including winner K.M. Sunline, which is another name that I know I just botched. Sadly, it sounds as if Literary Deathmatch is going to take a break for a while because Adrian Todd Zuniga is going to take some time off to um, to work on his second novel. But that, of course, is a noble pursuit, pursuit, and we wish him well and look forward to a Literary Deathmatch making its big return whenever that happens. I went to some other great Litquake events this week, but I know I've already talked enough about Litquake, so I'm just going to quickly mention the Porchlight Storytelling event on Monday was phenomenal. Maybe, I mean, one of the best events I've ever attended for sure. And then I also went to Dave Eggers uh, talking with coffee expert Willem Boot about coffee and uh, Dave's recent book, The Monk of Mocha. And I really, really enjoyed that event as well. 
Despite all the quake activity, yesterday, I, um, before I read yesterday evening, in the morning, I participated on a Bay Area Travelers, Bay Area Travel Writers panel about social media, uh, social media for writers. And my initial reaction when I was invited to participate is, you know, I, I do not consider myself an expert. I am figuring this out as I go along. But I was happy and grateful to have the opportunity to share some of my experiences and what I've learned from those experiences. And I got to share the stage with Carrie Swing, Ann Lowry, and Valerie Steinmack. And um, I hope I said that name right. I need to research all these names before I get on the show. I always forget. Anyway, hopefully Valerie will forgive me if that wasn't the right pronunciation. But it was, it was great getting to meet all of them and also getting to hear their own experiences. And they've all been at this, at the social media um, aspect of this at least, a lot longer than I have. So I learned a lot just from, from listening to them. So... Great meeting all of you, and thanks again to uh, MJ Premick of BATW, Bay Area Travel Writers, and thanks to the whole organization again for the opportunity and for a great morning. Very busy week, but uh, as I've just described, nonetheless, Wednesday night, late, late, late Wednesday night, I was able to get the final three episodes out of my Words and Images podcast, and they are three great ones. The first one is uh, my conversation with one of the industry's top book cover designers, Erica Heitman Ford, who called in all the way from New York City to tell us about the industry and the art. Then my conversation with Dr. Falk Kameen about the state of the humanities, which was a great episode. I really loved talking with Falk, particularly given, you know, we talked about the, the humanities, particularly in this context of so much money, educational money, is now, of course, being diver diverted to technology and other areas. And so we talked a lot about the importance of the humanities, the state of the humanities, and on and on. So um, that's one worth checking out. The third conversation, and like I said, the final episode of my Words and Images podcast was a conversation with local painter and writer Colette Hanahan. We had a fun, deep conversation about the joys and challenges of living a creative life. So please check those all out on iTunes and Google Play. And uh, if you like them, subscribe, review, and rate. That really, really helps. Uh, now that all the words and uh, words and images episodes are out, I'm going to do another series again from from the episodes that I have in the quote unquote archives from when I was doing this show at the internet radio station, and that's going to be focused on travel because I have a lot of episodes um, focused on travel. But given that I'm launching the book and some other stuff going on, I'm not sure if that's going to happen this year. That might not happen until next year, so we'll see. So much more I could say about this week, but uh, let's look ahead to next week's episode. Author and adventure traveler Anne Sigmund will be here to discuss her in-progress memoir, Scrambling Back, about not only surviving stroke, but even resuming her travels all over the globe after stroke. And I'll talk with her about stroke, memory loss, and autoimmune disease, and of course about travel as well. And this week, I got, I got the chance to actually read half of, of Anne's uh, memoir, which I did in just one sitting, because it, it is a real page-turner. I'm really, really enjoying it. And uh, if I didn't have all these other things going on this week, I'm sure I would have already finished it. So I'm looking forward to not only having the chance, but having, having to finish it uh, this week. I'm really looking forward to picking it back up. All right, but that is what's coming up. Let's get to today's show and Michelle, who is over there getting ready to uh, tell us all about Open House. But before I bring her on, let's, let me tell you a little bit about Open House. Open House, oh, let me bring up their logo here so we can give them a little, a, little, uh, a little publicity here. Open House enables San Francisco Bay Area 
LGBT seniors to overcome the unique challenges they face as they age by providing housing, direct services, and community programs. Open House reduces isolation and empowers LGBT seniors to improve their overall health, well-being, and economic security. Open House's goal is for every LGBT senior to live in safe and stable housing that is affordable to them, be welcomed and treated appropriately by housing, social service, and health care providers throughout each stage of life across the entire continuum of care, and last but not least, be engaged with and supported by communities of their choice. Michelle Alcedo is, uh, oversees Open House's community engagement, support, and wellness, resources and referrals, and cultural humility training programs. Wow, you got a lot of responsibilities, <laughs> um, and we're going to talk all about all of that and what 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 that means. But she brings 18 years of nonprofit experience working with educators, social service providers, and community members. Since starting with Open House in 2007, Michelle has trained over 2,000 aging network providers throughout CA. So you must know every single provider in the state. Again, we're going to talk about that. And she has also developed numerous curricula to transform aging services in support of LGBT elders across the country. She has co-authored and edited two publications, Best Practices in LGBT uh, Elder Care, uh, funded by the California Endowment, and From Isolation to Inclusion, in partnership with the SF Department of Aging and Social Services. In fall of 2011, Michelle was appointed by the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to San Francisco's LGBT Aging Policy Task Force. And last but not least, Michelle is currently on the board of directors of the Coalition of Agencies Serving the Elderly or CASE. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you, Matthew. <laughs> My goodness. Okay. You, you didn't realize you'd done that much. <laughs> Did you? You're actually very accomplished. My bio. <laughs> uh, wait, what do you mean you need no, to update I your bio? Shorten it? No, you don't. I did shorten it. Uh, I did shorten it. You know what? 18 years, you've done a lot. Yeah. So let's celebrate that. And I'm going to take a drink of water because I kept almost <laughs> losing my voice during the intro. Okay, so um, how did you get into nonprofit work initially? Well, as a queer woman of color, um, as an immigrant, um, I am really passionate about social justice issues. Um, I basically want to live in a world that's just and equitable, and I want to change the world and believe that together as a community we can. Okay, fair enough. That's that 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 sums it up. Um, how did you? So did you did you study something in school that translated no, directly into this? No, I or? didn't. But my horoscope when I left UC Santa Cruz, my horoscope said that I will make movies. And so when I moved to San Francisco, I got the first apartment I applied for and the first job I applied for, which was for a nonprofit documentary film production company. Oh, really? Working okay. with um, a Academy Award winner, a winning. Um, producer Deborah Chasnoff. Okay. So I worked um, working worked uh, on films that addressed um, LGBTQ issues with youth and families in schools. Okay. So how to talk about queer issues in schools with youth and, and their families. Okay. So you pretty much were involved in LGBT stuff then from the get-go. From the get-go, like. yeah. Okay. All right. Because mm -hmm. my next question was going to be then, how did you transition into that? But there was really no transition. That was from, from the start. Right. Okay. Um, quick question. This is a tangent already. But I need to know, and I know that you're the person to ask. Okay. And you're, you're, you're oh like, you're dreading the question. No, 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 it's fine. You will know the answer. LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBTQQIP2SAA. Which one do we use? I actually like LGBTQ+. Oh, okay. See, this is, but see, this is my Did point. Did you say plus? I didn't say okay. plus because I haven't heard of plus, but this is my point. 
for those of us who aren't in working in the in you know in the social services and in mm-hmm. the in that domain where these things are sort of always evolving uh, always yeah. evolving uh-huh. and i'm i'm half the time i'm afraid to say lgbt because i'm afraid it's the wrong term mm-hmm. and so first of all how do we know what the right term is and who comes up with the term who who because i mean lgbtqqip2saa so i get that we want to be inclusive yes but at the same time we're, we're using these acronyms to make to shorten things so that we can use them in conversation. So where where is the line between inclusion and sort of utility and who sets these acronyms? I'm curious. I mean, hopefully the community does. Um, so we just added Q to LGBT um, for, for Open House just this year yeah. um, because more seniors are identifying as queer. But we know that um, historically it's been a pejorative. So um, folks are more embracing of that as, as they age and we're certainly younger boomers. But in terms of the the acronym i mean um i think the community can define it okay like yeah so the community can define it so it just sort of there there really isn't we we can't trace it it's just in common parlance and in the different agencies that work in these fields Mm -hmm. in these areas so social services someone will just think oh we need to add the q to to because that's another sort of aspect we want to be inclusive of and it just sort of happens yeah there's I not think some it, central it, body that's deciding i mean yeah. <laughs> I don't think yeah yeah there is yeah unless you've you've heard of one but no but you know i know in france for example you know they're constantly um combating english coming into the words and so they have this central authority that comes mm, up with french words mm-hmm. to make sure they don't use the english ones and it's a futile totally futile endeavor and of course, I knew there wasn't any sort of equivalent, but I was just didn't know if there was some authority that people sort of look to for that. But it sounds like it's just organic. Yeah, I think yeah. it's organic. And then the more people use it, the more it becomes it part happens. of our vernacular. But right. more inclusive in terms of queer has been, um, yeah, more of an umbrella term, I think, that uh, rather than, yeah, using the LGBT. Yeah. Lesbian and gay it used to be lesbian and gay. Right. But we know there's so many more identities within the, the umbrella. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Thank you for um, entertaining that question, uh, which I know was sort of a trick one. Okay, but you joined Open House. Let's go back to Open House mm-hmm. and your sort of trajectory here. So you joined Open House in 2007 and in, in what capacity, and then how did your trajectory there sort of evolve? Yeah, so when I left um, the documentary film production company, I decided to get in touch with my roots, go back to the Philippines for a while, much to my parents' horror, like, what? You have a great job. Why would you quit your job? Oh, yeah. Okay. But, right? That so part. That yeah, is, yeah. That I'm familiar is, with that part. Right. Yes. So I um, went to the Philippines and, uh, for a few months and um, was caring with my caring for my grandmother who had dementia. And so when I came back to the States, I actually landed a job with Family Caregiver Alliance, which works with the caregivers of folks living with dementia. Someone from Open House came to do a training with our organization, and they had a panel of LGBTQ seniors speaking about their stories and lived experiences. And it brought together aging and queer issues um, for me, and I just I thought this is exactly what I want to do. Yeah, I want to create visibility or help make visible um, the stories, the voices, the lived experience of our queer elders. Well, and and this is one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't know you already outside of this context, I I don't hear that much about queer elders, you know, and I don't know. I, I don't know, but so so you obviously share that sort of there is a need and there is sort of a lack of visibility 
And I don't even know where to say that visibility would be, just sort of in day to day. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I was really interested when I even heard about your organization. It just seemed like a group, again, that I don't hear a lot about in the day to day. And so what were your thoughts with regards to the need for visibility? And it struck a chord with you, too, when you when you heard about this organization. So can you tell me a little bit more about that? Absolutely, because um, LGBTQ seniors are four to five times more isolated, socially isolated than their heterosexual counterparts. And so no wonder they're they're invisible because we don't see them. And and then also people, particularly in the community, that tends to be focused on youth and younger folks. Right. Of course, as, you know, older people tend to be invisible mm-hmm. in general. And mm-hmm. a lot of our seniors speak about that, just even walking the streets um, of the Castro and all around the city. Yep. So, um, in, and then American society is generally ageist, right? Right. Very youth focused as well, but very ageist with, you know, and so um, I think that as a society, which is very different than what the society I'm culture that I'm from, which honors elders, I, I think American society, yep. exactly, right. um, I think um, American society tends to um, hide away our elders, mm-hmm. and um, so LGBTQ elders also um, tend to not be partnered nor married or have children, and we know that 80% of um, care is provided by spouses and children, so therefore, they again, that leads to the social isolation. Um, 80% even today is still provided just across the Mm -hmm. board, not just for LGBT, but just across the board. board. 80% interesting. Interesting. Okay. So yeah. So if you don't have kids, then that's a problem, obviously, but excuse me. Okay. So we're going to talk specifically about open house and Mm -hmm. some of the work you do and that your organization does. But other than this isolation that we just talked about, which is a huge one, obviously, um, what are some other issues that, um, that LGBT, L- that we're just going to say queer, I like because I think to your sure. point that's easier mm-hmm. actually, and then I'm not going to have to sound it out every time. Uh-huh. The queer seniors face because well, first of all, I want to throw out a st- statistic about queer seniors that I got just from a 2014 LA Times article, so it's a few few years old, but I thought this was interesting. Um, nationwide quote: Nationwide, an estimated two million people aged 50 and older identify as LGBT. And that number is expected to double by 2030, according to the Institute for Multigenerational Health at the University of Washington. Is that sort of in line with, I mean, are you familiar with the numbers? Does that sound like more or less the latest sort of thinking on that? More or less. And so in San Francisco, actually, there are about 20,000 LGBTQ seniors 60 and older. 60 and older. Okay. And that number is expected to grow. Another 10,000 10, by 2030. Okay, interesting. So so what are some, in addition to the isolation, which again, mm-hmm. we just said is a, is a huge one, what are some of the other issues that aging queer seniors face and how, and, and, and also to the extent that you can sort of differentiate, how are those different from the general population that, that aging queer seniors are facing? Well, in addition to social isolation, um, you know, our community has faced historical and structural discrimination. It has? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately, yes. I mean, it wasn't until 1973 that homosexuality was removed from the DSM as a mental illness. Isn't that incredible? And, I mean, it's really powerful. I mean, for the folks that we work with, you know, they're in their mid-40s when um, finally that designation was removed. So um, lots of trauma in the community because of that historical um, and structural discrimination laws saying we couldn't be who we are and love who we love um then the trauma of living through the aids epidemic i mean a whole generation was wiped out you know long-term survivors in our community also report really high rates of social isolation and um i mean um, other types of issues right 
And one of the other things that I saw on your site with regards to, so because you, you've, you've mentioned a lot of sort of the emotional stuff, mm -hmm. which again is huge. Well, as we know, the mind-body connection, that also has physiological, that has an impact on, on their physical health. And so a quote I got from a Stonewall, yeah, Stonewall found that um, older LGBs, this is, a, this is an article, or mm -hmm. this was a quote from, from Britain, and this was also from a few years ago. So again, LGBs, they hadn't added the T yet, never mind the Q. But Oftentimes the T is missing research anyway. But Is I mean, it? Yes. Okay, so that's kind of an interesting, yeah. okay. But uh, the point of this, this quote, though, Stonewall found that older LGBTs are more prone to anxiety and depression than their heterosexual counterparts. So that's more in the lines of the, the, emotion, the psychological, emotional. Mm -hmm. But they are also more likely to smoke, drink, and use recreational drugs. The consequence, an increased risk of coronary heart disease, cancer, alcohol-related illnesses, and mental health problems. Mm -hmm. so, so that all adds up. But the other thing that I learned while I was researching today's show is that I hadn't really thought about, but again, not because it doesn't make perfect sense, simply because I hadn't given these topics much thought, is um, that a lot of these queer seniors, when they go into homes, mm. because of a lot of the stuff that you were just talking about, the time in which they grew up, well, society at, a lar at large might be more accepting. Of course, a lot of it's still not, but at, in, compared to way back then, society in at large is more accepting of LGBT population, but their contemporaries are not necessarily, right? Absolutely. And so they go into a home, and then what happens to them sometimes in these homes? Well, unfortunately, they go back in the closet because 90% right. believe that they would be mistreated if their sexual orientation or gender identity were known. Um, and 80% go back into the closet due to that fear. 80%. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't see any statistics. I just saw that that was a threat. Yeah, when I, when I saw that, it, again, it, it makes perfect sense, but it's just heartbreaking. Because knowing how hard it is to come out, mm -hmm. I mean, can you, I just, it's just well, heartbreaking to imagine. Well, we know coming out is an ongoing process, never just a one time. Well, that's true, too. That's true, too. I got to get this fly out of my way. <laughs> um, but just, yeah, when I just saw that, because one, they go out because it sounds like two, two different types and maybe m more than two different types, but at least two different types of homophobia can, can manifest. One is, um, you know, just... I think we just touched on this, this idea that, um, that it might not be safe for them, mm -hmm. um, but that there also might be repercussions for them, that, um, that their caregivers might treat them differently, that they might, that it's better for them not only to go in the closet and just, um, again, just more from a sort of almost a safety, a safety. It's, it's yeah. safety is critical. Yeah. Particularly for transgender elders who are in homes as well. I mean, oftentimes people don't even want to accept trans elders into their facilities. Really? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the discrimination is just rampant. And yep. so that's why we're working to change and transform the landscape to make it more affirming and welcoming to LGBTQ right. elders, particularly in long-term care facilities. Yep. Okay, and we're going to talk about some of how you do that. Mm -hmm. But the last issue that I sort of found as I was doing the research for today's show that's specific to, um, again, um, older LGBT seniors is affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And that's just not something I would have thought of. I mean, I think of that in general, particularly given where we live, that that's just, it's on our minds constantly. But um, but why why is that specific for LGBT seniors? Why are they having, because it's not just here in San Francisco, but it seems, because again, this was from an LA, LA Times article, mm -hmm. for LGBT seniors, affordable housing is scarce and often unwelcoming. And we talked about the unwelcoming part. 
but is it different? Is it just because for seniors it's often difficult? Or again, is there a specific angle here related to affordability and, and being queer? That's a great question. I mean, I think that folks who did stay in the closet through, were able to build their careers, right? And those who were brave enough to be out and proud and activists and really um, open about their sexual orientation and gender identity, you know, it was difficult for them to maintain employment. So therefore, we're not able to, you know, build equity and um, particularly for lesbians as well. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, I would say it's it's very difficult for LGBTQ seniors then here, even in San Francisco, to maintain housing. As we know, housing well, housing is the number one issue for elders for anyone I think living in the city, but particularly for those um, of our community who've who've been here for 30, 40, 50 years, being pushed out. Um, which for many reasons we, we all know about. But right, yeah. right. Okay, and you just said that uh, 20,000, I think I also read 25,000, so somewhere between that, LGBT seniors call San Francisco home. Mm -hmm. And um, But I am curious because on one hand, we have the, the, socio or the, the economic factors that are driving so many different populations out, mm -hmm. so that would, of course, apply again to, to the seniors. But on the other hand, we're all getting older, and so I'm just curious, is the number of LGBT seniors in the city, is it growing or is it shrinking? Or do, do you know? You know, um, I would say it's growing. I mean, yep. according to the numbers, it's yep. a, there are estimates, again, because not everyone is disclosing their sexual sure. orientation or gender identity. So right, right. We, we estimate that there are about 20,000, 20, 25,000. Yep. And it's growing yep. because people are aging into, that, you that know, was, yeah. yeah, absolutely. But on the positive side, something I was wondering about is we are in San Francisco, we do have this history. We do have this um, his, this history, and we have the, the politics here. Is it safe to assume, or is this naive, that San Francisco offers more services to LGBT seniors uh, than most other places in the country, or or not? I would say our our city um, Department of Aging and Adult Services is one of our partners, really strong supporter of LGBTQ seniors, and so we receive you know a, a number of grants from our, our Department of Aging. Okay. And just so you know, one in five residents of San Francisco is age 60 and older. One of five. One of five. Yes. So we are, you know, 20% of our, our community are, are, are seniors. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's the overall community, mm -hmm. not the LGBT, overall community. Overall community. Yeah. But even that's surprising to me because it just feels, running around the city, it feels like a very young city. And you hear people say that anecdotally, anecdotally, mm -hmm. anecdotally. <laughs> Whatever it is, you yeah, hear that. You hear people, thank yes. you. You hear people say that a lot. So that's interesting. Okay. So we keep kind of coming back to affordable housing, affordable housing, because that is one of the main issues that, that mm -hmm. queer seniors face. And it's also one of the main issues that you guys work on at Open House. So let's, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, and I want to talk about 55 Laguna, because that's one of your big projects that, that addresses this, this need. But is there anything, I don't know, maybe we've already covered it, but is there anything else about the general housing situation for seniors, for LGBT seniors in the city um, that, that we haven't maybe covered in, in so far as other significant issues facing them? Well, I think that, um, like I said, we did mention safety is a number one issue yep. and people want to live in a community that is safe. And so, and, and affirming of their identities, however, whatever intersections that they embody. Right. Um, so I think safety and living in a, a community that's affirming of gender identity and, and sexual orientation is really important to LGBTQ seniors. Yep. Yep. Um, all right. So let's talk specifically about 55 Laguna. Um, oh, no, actually, sorry. I wanted to ask, because you actually, you guys do something. This is, this is why I was also asking that previous question. You do some other things other than 55 Laguna to help seniors find housing. 
So can you just touch on that so that so that seniors who might be listening or watching sure. know about that? We I have, meant to bring that up. Absolutely. Yeah. We have a um, Aging and Disability Resource Center. We are the LGBTQ Aging Hub. Our offices are located at 65 Laguna, which you probably plugged it already, but 65 Laguna. And so what we do is we help folks navigate the service system, including housing, which is the number one reason why people do come to open house. Um, we have a housing assistance program, so we help folks apply for open wait lists and identify um, open um, openings around the city and throughout the Bay Area as well. All right, and so you've got housing lists, and mm -hmm. you connect them with the different agencies that um, that have those the, the the places or places to live. Subsidies, and like that. I yeah. mean, any Subsidies kind of sort too. of mm -hmm, okay. as well. Yeah, okay. so we help them connect um, with those kinds of services to help people stay in their homes. We also connect them with services that support their, you know, their in-home care, for example, mm -hmm. and um, support their, their ability to maintain their independence because no one, you know, grows old saying, I want to live in a nursing home. Right. Right. So right. Open House exists to help our elders stay in their homes as long as possible, with, but with support. Okay, so that's great. So, again, that's another angle that I, I wasn't aware of that you, you have services helping them stay in their homes yes. as well. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's that's an important distinction, important thing to, to note. All right, so I've mentioned 55 Laguna Street a few times. 55 Laguna is not far from where I live, so it was a big project for you, and I kept seeing it as it was going up. And so can you just tell us a little bit about what is 55 Laguna? Sure. I mean, 55 Laguna is um, San Francisco's first LGBT welcoming affordable senior housing. Um, we've been, you know, basically around since 1998 with the with the goal of building um, housing that was affirming, welcoming, and safer for our elders. So it's 39 units of affordable senior housing, housing, and that was phase one of our project. And right now we are in phase two, um, building 75 and 95 Laguna. So 95 Laguna will be 79 additional um, units, also welcoming um, and affirming of LGBTQ seniors. It's not exclusive okay. because we could, we could, you know, we also can't or nor want to discriminate based on sexual orientation or gender identity. See, but I want to talk about that. <laughs> that is obviously one of my questions. Yeah. So, so how do you do that? And what I mean by that is, so this is coming out of a need to make sure that people aren't discriminated against mm -hmm. but then you also want to make sure that your target population that you're trying to help them and you're trying to serve their needs get the spaces so but legally i'm sure of course you right. have limitations housing, on you yep. can't say i'm sorry you're straight because it's housing and that's really really regulated to as far as i understand mm -hmm. so how do you make sure that lgbt seniors are ending up in this facility that you an lgbt organization have you know developed but at the same time, you're not allowed. How, how do you walk that line? That sounds oh tricky. Gosh. It yeah. is a very <laughs> tricky and it's a million dollar question, which is it's we rely on our grassroots community organizing. We rely on the community of elders that we work with and work on behalf of. So we really um, hope we support folks to help lead the outreach efforts um, to help people access housing and our um, our interest list, for example. So we're in the community talking about how to apply for 55, or actually, in this case, 95 Laguna. Uh -huh. um, but really, it's it's talking to queer social workers. It's talking to case managers. It's it's really going to senior spaces and creating this visibility for LGBT Queer elders. senior spaces in and particular. Yeah. Queer senior spaces. I mean, which yep. there are very few, yep. but it's very, you know, but we do go to, you know, tradi more traditional senior centers. And then we also try to collaborate with LGBTQ um, agencies that may serve seniors um, but we do target more of the traditional centers as well as our community partners yeah that help us spread the word yeah yeah it sounds 
it sounds tricky. <laughs> it is. I mean, yeah. um, we, we want to say, hey, we see you, we're, we welcome you, and we want to help you get on, whether it's 95 Laguna or other, uh, you know, affordable housing um, opportunities. We want to help you access that. Yeah. And that, so that's another um, point that we haven't addressed directly that I'm curious about, because one of the criterion here, it, one of the criteria mm -hmm. is a criterion. One of the criteria is uh, income. It, this is affordable housing we're talking it is. about. And what are the... Um, what is the what's the income criterion here? So we haven't. Um, so we know it's probably going to be fifty percent area median income or less is the qualification basically. So I think um, this year, the last year, it was around thirty seven five maybe. Is that right? <laughs> okay. Well, what I found. Uh -huh. Okay, because I have the statistic, and I was going to ask fifty percent AMI. Yeah. Well, what I have is this is from pointtohomes.com, which gets their data from Onboard Informatics. No idea. Never heard of either of those. But what, what I found was, so you can tell me because this sounds pretty different from what you heard or are familiar with. Average household income that they showed was 104879 So that sounds kind of on for me, in my opinion, mm -hmm. for San Francisco. But the median then that they showed was 77000 mm, okay. But that sounds a lot higher than what you It is. Saying. We use HUD. We use, we use HUD's okay. calculations. Okay. And right. those are published every year um, in April. So. Okay. So HUD is probably more reliable than this. Um, is 55, so other than now you've said that you have two additional... Um, developments and those are just right in the same complex that same so we have same one big. it's 95 Laguna and 75 Laguna is actually our service space where we'll have 7,000 okay. square foot of um, activity space okay okay so are there any other in San Francisco spaces or not spaces but um, developments welcoming developments going on it, with not another, that we know not that you know of, of, yeah. which is interesting again given that we're here in San Francisco so is that just because Certainly, obviously, it's not because there's not a need. Is it because this is such a new concept? I don't what, think what do you think the... I mean, yeah. it's really expensive to build, you know, housing in general. And, and this project took, you know, since 1998. And is that how long it's been going yeah. on? Yeah. So... Um, and it's in such a prime location, which is another is. question. Absolutely, it yeah. is. And so what we're doing, rather than, um, I think, our, our goal is to transform the landscape by actually working with existing um, providers and okay. helping them to make their... their their housing sites more welcoming. So that's your main focus. Yeah, I yeah. mean, because we just can't build enough housing. The demand is so much greater than, you know, than the inventory. The supply, right, right. Um, but it still sounds as if this is a pretty novel concept. I mean, overall. Now, I know I did do, again, I did some additional research, and I saw that in um, February 2017 Guardian article, Manchester City Council in the UK has announced plans to create the UK's first retirement community aimed at lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. Mm -hmm. And then I found articles where there are similar uh, developments in Sweden, France, and Spain. So it does, it is, but all of it sounds fairly recent. It is. Um, yeah. And so I, I was curious also along those lines, do you guys in your organization, do you keep on trend, to keep up on trends that are happening nationally and internationally? And do you interface with any of those other organizations? Or is this, you're so kind of consumed with your own efforts that you really don't have time <laughs> this to... This is a lot of work already. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hence the question. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we, I mean, we have visitors from all over the world who Do come. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, um, yeah. Who come and find out how we did it and what kinds of services uh -huh. we provide on site. Um, because it's a model. This yeah. is a model. And so yeah. and that's kind of what I was wondering. Yeah. So that's great that people are coming. And how do they, how do they hook up with you guys? They just, again, see you in the media or they're international organizations that are making sure you guys are all 
you know, communicating? How does that happen? How does someone in Spain say, oh, I want to go to San Francisco and, and learn how they did this? I mean, I don't know. Social you don't know. Yeah, right. I guess. I mean, right. they, okay. but, but we definitely get lots of requests for tours and informational interviews from folks all over the world. So that's really encouraging. It's really cool. Yeah. Do you, um, are you involved in any of, of those tours and those interactions when people come or does somebody else do that? Yeah, I mean, myself yeah. and our yeah. executive director. Okay. Yeah. What's, who's the last one you uh, gave a tour? Where were they from? Oh my gosh! Um, let's see. I think we had um, a group from Tokyo. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Come through, and then other oh, reminds me I have to email them. You should email them. <laughs> yeah. They're waiting for your email. They are. Yeah. Um, and then someone from Paris um, came by, and okay. um, yeah, I mean, like I said, people are always interested in um, hearing how we did it here yeah. because they're they're trying to to start something in Australia or, you know, wherever they're from. That's so encouraging. Mm-hmm. Have you, has that necessitated or given you the opportunity to go show them, go, go to where they're from? Does I that, wish. yeah, not if yet. If anyone is interested, then <laughs> yeah. we are open she, to the invitation. She is available. <laughs> she is available for international travel. That's right. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. If any, if you get anything out of this show, I mean, sure. I hope, I hope open house, help open house and seniors benefit from this. But I really hope you get a trip out of this. Thank you. Okay, fingers crossed. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I'll take she's, you. She's a great traveler. <laughs> we can go together. It would be fantastic. Okay. Um, so affordable housing, again, is one of your main focuses at Open House, but that's not your only focus. Mm-hmm. So um, you provide a lot of different services to the LGBT community. And um, a big part of what you guys do and what you specifically do is training, not only uh, delivering training, but developing curricula. Like Mm -hmm. I said in your bio, you've developed a lot of curricula that's used nationwide. Mm -hmm. Um, And I also mentioned in your bio that you have trained over 2000, 2000 aging network providers. And like I said, you probably you must know all of them in the country. But uh, but I'm curious. um, First of all, what are aging network providers? What's that term mean specifically? It means senior service providers. Okay, so, so people who work in nursing homes. Or nursing homes. Assist- it could be in senior centers, people who provide in-home care. Okay. Just that whole the, gamut. The whole of range that. of... Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, but what are you training them in specifically? Like what, what do they need? What sort of training, this curriculum stuff that you've developed, what sort of topics are you bringing them up to speed on? Well, we train them on best practices. Our framework is a cultural humility framework, which really um, is um, looking at the voices of marginalized communities, and they are our teachers, and we as providers are the learners in that dynamic. Oftentimes, we hold the power because we have the service. Right. So um, our model is really to listen to the stories and um, lived experiences of LGBTQ elders, and then we develop curriculum and best practices based on those lived experiences and research, obviously, as well. But we um, we infuse trauma-informed care practices, and we talk about history and people those kinds of things that people aren't aware of and that um, really inform and shape um, the experience of LGBTQ elders and their ability to access services and programs that are welcoming to the general population, but there are some unique challenges, like I mentioned earlier, that our LGBTQ elders face. Okay. Can you get a little specific? Because I'm curious. Let's say that I am, uh, let's say I work in a nursing home mm-hmm. and I just started, and or maybe I've worked there a year or 10 years. Maybe that's not the point, but let's say I haven't had this training. I guess that's more the point. What are some things that I might be doing in, in my day-to-day interactions with LGBT seniors that I might be doing in a sort of unaware way, mm-hmm. in ways that might be making them uncomfortable or ignoring their sp- particular needs or particular experiences? What are some of the specific things that you're making sure that these professionals become aware of that they might not, and not through any fault of their own, but just because they haven't been trained and haven't 
had this awareness, mm -hmm. what are some specific things that you I would be bringing to my attention? Well, one yeah. of the major things is the assumption that every older person identifies as straight or heterosexual. Mm -hmm. Because, we again, we live in an ageist society, so when we intersect aging with um, sexual identity, we automatically assume um, that, well, first of all, we hypersexualize LGBTQ people. Mm -hmm. And then, since older people, because we're ageist, older people are not having sex, therefore, how can someone be both LGBTQ and, and old. old? Interesting. Right? Yeah. So it's yeah. this erasure. Yeah. So when they go into a long-term care facility or a nursing home or a, even um, um, skilled nursing or any kind of long-term care, people automatically assume that they're straight. Mm -hmm. So therefore, what comes from that is, oh, do you, you know, if, if someone who is presenting as male, they'll assume that they have, have a partner who's a, opposite gender right. and start to then, you know, make assumptions based on that I initial Right, and then assumption. putting that person in the awkward position of, okay, I guess I have to come out to this person and, or maybe, or maybe to our earlier point, oh, maybe I shouldn't come out to this person mm -hmm. because I can tell they have these biases, so they're uncomfortable potentially in lots of different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. When the, the onus is then on the senior to come out. When you're seeking long-term care, I mean, that's a pretty vulnerable position to be in. Right. So you're, you're going to want to be protective and cautious. Right. Can um, you give me another? Yeah, go ahead. Sure. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, other things like... Um, talking about the kinds of things you celebrate if you celebrate pride you want to ensure that you you communicate that to folks you want to use terms that are welcoming and and broader that don't again presume heterosexuality so you may want to use terms like partner or spouse rather than husband or wife right um, I think one thing that um, our, particularly our transgender elders um, face are misgendering so the the um, pronouns thing yep. right yep. and so um, asking Folks directly about the pronouns they use is one way of recognizing that we all, you know, have different um, ways of being in, in, in the world and that uh, we want to acknowledge that, that diversity. Yep. Yep. What about, um, and like you said, we did touch on this a little bit earlier, but I feel like it's something we could dive a little deeper and because it's, it's really important. Uh, some of the obstacles mm -hmm. again, that if, um, the LGBT seniors have in accessing some of these services. So part of it we talked about is largely due to the isolation. Because they're isolated, they might not have someone to help them get to the services or inform them that the mm -hmm. services exist, whatever the services in question might be. Um, so yeah, I guess that's that's kind of part, the second half of the question. So what are some additional obstacles and what are some of the specific services we're talking about that they might not know we're out there mm -hmm. and have, have trouble accessing? Well, we can't minimize the importance of having an advocate, and typically our default advocates are our kids mm -hmm. and our spouses. So mm -hmm. for LGBTQ seniors who don't have partners and kids, it's like they, they remain in isolation. So folks, if they are in the hospital who are advocating for their care, you know, um, LGBTQ seniors don't have that default caregiver person that can advocate for them um, in, in those situations. One thing that I discovered along these lines again that not a discovery for you though is um that a lot of this has been legislated yes that the training that we're talking about you um in in california and i'm sure again this is something that's at the state level so it varies a lot from state to state but uh in 2008 schwarzenegger governor schwarzenegger signed sb 1729 that requires all registered nurses certified nurse assistants licensed vocational nurses and physicians to receive training um, preventing and eliminating discrimination based on sexual orientation, gender identity. Mm -hmm. And then there's also the older California's Equality and Protections Act. So this training that you're uh, giving is actually required by law. 
or some variation of this training. It is, and most recently, there's there's the LGBTQ Resident Bill of Rights. So within long-term care facilities, there is recourse for LGBTQ folks who do experience mistreatment and discrimination to actually pursue pursue a claim. So that's that's really exciting, and that just passed a couple in 2015, okay. and it's just getting implemented um, now. And in fact, Open House is um, developing a curricula and training program to help train facilities on ways they can be more affirming and of their their queer um, residents yeah what about i saw that you also so that that training is is required for those particular mm -hmm. facilities and, and organizations but i also saw that you deliver this training to other organizations we and do. so can you give us some examples of outside of caregivers mm -hmm. these different variations on caregiving uh what sort of organizations might want this sort of training that Anyone who works with older adults. Okay. I think, again, it's we're trying to combat ageism as well. And so we work with LGBTQ organizations that typically serve younger younger folks to help them become you know, more affirming of older folks that they seek to serve or may serve currently. Um, we work with um, housing sites so that may be welcoming to older people, but they don't think about the specific needs of um, older queer people. Um, we train, um, like I said, long-term care facilities. Did I already mention that? Yes, Probably, long-term care yeah, facilities. I think so, yeah. <laughs> we, we, <laughs> we can we mention them the again. We run the, Let's we, mention them again. Yeah, we, yeah, because it's really Because that's yeah. a big part of it. It is a big, part, a big part of it. Uh, yeah. Housing sites, yeah, and social yeah. services. Tra senior centers where a lot, they're, you know, those senior spaces aren't welcoming to LGBTQ seniors. So creating safety and visibility for those folks there as well. Yeah. Do you find, for those organizations that aren't required, mm -hmm. and it sounds like... A big percentage of them are, but a lot, again, a lot of them aren't. Is there an appetite for this? Or do you guys have to do a lot of outreach to say, hey, these are things you probably aren't thinking about but need to be? Or, or maybe, in, or is it 50-50? Do, do these organizations come to you and say, hey, we recognize that, you know, we've got some LGBT seniors and they're out and we haven't really had that many in the past, so this is new for us. Can you help us? Like, what percentage is you guys going to them saying, these are things you should be thinking about probably aren't versus them recognizing Oh, we have this need. How how can we address it? It's both. It's Unfortunately, both. Yeah. we get called when there's an incident, oh. and it's like, ooh, we really could have done better. Can you can you train us on some best practices and, and ways that we can be better? Can you give us an example again, just like an incident? Oh gosh, what an incident might be. Um, I think that people are um, particularly um, freaked out around sex and aging. Okay. So, for example, this was years ago when I first started yeah. Open House. Someone yeah. um, called us for a training for their adult day health center, and there was an incident where there were two men in the bathroom, and um, and and um, they put the <laughs> they, they they ended this, <laughs> this relationship is be good. immediately. This is going to be good. They, okay, they, so they, two seniors, seniors were having were, sex in the bathroom. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. Absolutely, <laughs> and they, and so they, they uh -huh. didn't describe like you know the, they didn't go into detail. They didn't, but go there into was some sort of sexual activity yes. happening between these older seniors, right? And, and so then they called you. They called they said, us. Help. Says, ah, what do we do? <laughs> we, we we handled it. Was oh, it's a safety issue. It's a health issue. You can't be together. But these are two two people that. Um, most likely had lived were living with their their families or in a in a care facility and um, were receiving these services and um, people didn't know how to handle the sex and aging thing and yep. perhaps there was some cognitive impairment there as well so when there's dementia people are they well just, that gets tricky yeah it gets tricky yeah and um, we, we do have an LGBT um, dementia care training as well that we've helped oh, really? to develop with so it's um, even 
that specific. It is, yes. So dementia versus general dementia versus LGBT dementia. Yes. So how is that and different caregivers, and specific? Because, um, and, and caregivers as well, because they, again, the, the resources aren't there. There isn't a, an affirming network of services for LGBTQ folks in general. And then when you intersect that with dementia, um, lots of the support groups and other types of services that are available to the heterosexual, you know, uh, to straight um, folks um, aren't welcoming to queer partners who are caring for their their person with dementia okay so so that's interesting so so that's the issue the issue isn't that queer dementia is somehow different from straight dementia the issue is that the dementia the people who are addressing the dementia aren't necessarily welcoming that's correct to queer the patients. services aren't affirming of queer so that's caregivers and care yeah. receivers right? yeah that was yeah because i was kind of thinking why, why why would dementia be different but it's not the dementia that's different it's the getting the care mm-hmm. interesting okay uh and so can I ask though, just because I'm so? What did you tell the What did you tell this facility that said, "What do we do if these older gay fellows are having sex in the bathroom?" What do What do you tell them? Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's a good one. I think at the time, I mean, I was very new to, the, to yeah. aging at that. And you actually got this one. This, yeah, I did. This, yeah, <laughs> I got this one. Well, basically, we said, "Tell them about open house." There are all these kinds of um, social activities that are welcoming. Um, you don't have sex parties for seniors. Well, not yet. Okay, you know, working I on that. Know. Okay. okay. <laughs> Okay. But yeah, I mean, um, no, so you said, okay, tell them about open house. <laughs> you threw me off. Yeah, well, I, I probably did. I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we can have fun here too. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so no, but I'm curious. So you said, okay, tell them about open, yeah, open house. We, yeah. We have, and, friend, then, and then just say, you know, sharing more about what we do and bringing in, you know, some other kinds of programs they may be interested in meeting other queer seniors. So they're less isolated. Right. Right. And so they be, can be more open. Right. Um, right. Okay, but you didn't really have a direct answer for how to stop them from having sex in the bathroom. No, they had already we <laughs> we come in after they'd already yeah. you know, said, "Hey, it's a yeah. safe, you know health right. and safety issue." Right, so. and we d- they just used that one the the safety thing. Okay, yeah. All right. So speaking of different services and cl- and things along that line, I saw that you had a um, uh, September fifth press release about a new collaboration that you're going to do with Onlook. Onlock. Onlock. Yeah. Onlock. And uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. We're so excited because okay. Onlock is, has been serving the community for decades and providing excellent, excellent, exceptional care. And Open House is partnering with Onlock to provide that same excellent care to uh, LGBTQ seniors um, in our community who are typically frailer and who typically fall through the cracks. I and guess, so can you tell us, I'm sorry, can you tell, because most people probably don't know what Onlock is, because it's not LGBT, it's just, it's, not, it's, it's a general... Right, it's, it, it functions, um, they provide um, basically like an HMO, basically, for folks who have Medi-Cal uh, medical and Medicare. So it's typically for frailer folks who are low income. Okay. And they have, they go to a site where they receive all of their clinical care, and then they also receive nutrition and socialization um, to enha- reduce their social isolation. But mm-hmm. they have, you know, podiatrists. They have medical care. They have um, mental health. They have and, all. And they live uh, the, all and of they're, the, they're on site. The residents live here, and the, all no, of these things. Actually are, they're, no, actually, they're um, the number of centers throughout the city, and so they have those buses that take them from I've their seen home. The buses. Yeah, okay. They're yeah. everywhere. Yeah. Um, they take them from their home into their different centers that are hopefully near their uh, in their neighborhood. Okay, so most of the people are actually living at home. Yes. Most of the uh, the goal like, is to keep people living at again, home. Again, that's the goal. Okay. Right. And so, so then your collaboration is is to enhance to what end? is yeah. to enhance um, our our services to reach th- those folks who are most isolated and vulnerable and frail. So it's and sort who of are leveraging at risk of at risk of ho- um, 
um, going into institutions. So we're trying mm. to prevent folks um, from being institutionalized and help them maintain their independence at home. Okay, and so it sounds like it's sort of leveraging the fact that they have this infrastructure mm -hmm. for getting the people out of their homes and to the services and you guys bringing in the LGBT component of that? Absolutely, we're going helping them to um, learn best practices for right. supporting our community. Right, right, and leveraging the fact that they have this way of contacting these people that you guys don't necessarily have. Well, so we would bring, bring our folks together and, and the, the, um, the services will be on site at 75 Laguna. Okay, yeah. yeah. All right, and they'll be bringing the people then to you. Exactly. Perfect. It sounds like a match made in heaven. <laughs> okay. Um, that is y the different programs we've talked about. Mm -hmm. You have so many more programs. And a lot of them, I'm just going to quote your website because this is easy. Open House organizes hundreds of hours of intellectually stimulating activities each month that bring together LGBT seniors uh, to meet each other, socialize, and enhance their quality of life. So can you tell us some of those programs? Absolutely, we have a community engagement program that includes lifelong learning. So we have language classes, we have Yiddish, we have Spanish, we have Italian, we have French. We're soon to have a Chinese and Japanese, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and so we have a senior who, um, uh, one of my colleagues, who speaks nine languages himself. Oh wow. Yeah, and has really strong connections with the community. And so um, we have lifelong learning. We have a ton of community engagement activities such as um, lunch discussion groups where people break bread. We have a trans elder lunch. We have a rainbow lunch that's bi-weekly and then we have a men's social. Mm -hmm. um, we also have support and wellness programs that really look at the holistic person. And so we're looking at bo you know, mind, body, and spirit. So we have support groups to help folks um, work through some challenges in a peer setting. Yep. A lot of our programs are peer-led so and senior-led, and we just sort of get out of the way and support um, our queer elders in developing programs and, um, and um, leading programs. Yep. I saw that you've got just a, a few more here from the, I think you covered most of these, but you've got an HIV support group. Yes. And that's mm -hmm. got to be big too, mm -hmm. obviously, again, given, particularly given this generation. And um, I mean, we're talking about probably different, I guess a couple of generations maybe, but... Um, that's that's got to be a really important one. And then you also have yoga, mm -hmm. which we is do. great. Yoga, Tai Chi. I want to make a plug for our one of our most rewarding programs, okay. which is our friendly visitor program. All right. And so we bring an intergenerational, you know, community members together. What, you know, we, some, some of the matches, we've matched trained volunteers to visit LGBTQ seniors in their homes or out in the community. And so some of our matches span 50 years age difference. And so it's an incredible opportunity um, for folks across generations to share stories of resilience and share stories about the history of San Francisco because um, oftentimes you forget that's the LGBTQ elders help shape San Francisco and what so much right and so, so we forget right. about that and right. I think that people um, yeah I forget and identify such this quality about San Francisco that's free and liberating and progressive and LGBTQ seniors help shape that or right. help shape our city and so right. at open house we really center their stories their voices and their experiences and friendly visitor is a powerful way to get involved with us and to um, to hear those stories yeah. directly from folks who who made history right 
And I, I heard you say that um, they're trained volunteers. Mm -hmm. So what sort of training do they get if, if they want to uh, participate in that program? Well, we learn, you know, we, we, we um, encourage folks to learn about the history and some of the challenges that are unique to LGBT aging, mm -hmm. Q aging. Yep. Um, they learn about boundaries, you mm -hmm. know, um, mm -hmm. because that's very important as well. We learn about um, what's appropriate um, uh, sort of activities. So people learn about their own aging process as well. Mm, so right, um, right. learning about what resources are available to LGBTQ elders. Um, we encourage, um, you know, friendships and um, it's just a really incredible program. It sounds like it. Yeah. It sounds like it. You have a couple others along those lines. So that was, what was the name of that one? We friendly just said, Visitor. That's Friendly Visitor, right? That's the first engagement. one. We did Community Engagement. We did Support and Wellness. You we have, have a phone resource. a friend? We do have Phone a Friend as well. That's a subset of our Friendly of Visitor friendly program video. Okay. Who, for so folks who are more homebound. Okay. Um, we have our resources and referrals navigation program. Again, that's um, helping folks access um, services that they may not know about. Yep. Um, you know, ben public benefits, income care, transportation, those kinds of things. And then there's a Laguna Honda month hospital monthly visitor. Um, we used to have a oh, more structured program. Oops, sorry. <laughs> yeah, we need to update our website, which, website. Is, uh, which yeah, is coming yeah. Okay, soon. never mind. Scratch that. <laughs> I'll edit this out of all the uh, all the different versions of the podcast. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so you don't have that anymore, but you've got a lot going on. Let's talk quickly about, because um, we're, we're out of time, but let's talk. We have a few. We'll just go over a little bit here, because uh, I want to know how you're funded. So we just talked a second ago. We were just talking about volunteers. So mm -hmm. that is obviously part of what helps your organization deliver its, its programs and services and things. But uh, how are you funded for the part that isn't volunteer? Because most of it's not volunteer, right? That's just one of your programs. Right. So your main, where, where do you guys get your funding? So we how talked about um, the San Francisco Department of Aging and Adult Services. So we have several. That's our, our strong partnership with um, DOS, we call it for short. And we have several contracts with Department of Aging. And so uh, as well as foundation support and then individual donors, we couldn't do it without our community members who, yeah. who give of their time and their resources. Do you guys have, um, you know, fundraising events and things like that? Or is it just sort of an ongoing, you've got someone who's doing that sort of outreach? We do. Um, we have a mission engagement team who focuses directly on, on fundraising and writing grants and donor support. Um, we also have a fundraising event um, in April, mm -hmm. April 7th. It's okay. called Spring Fling. Okay. And um, <laughs> Put it on your calendars. Put it on your calendar. April, April 7th. And um, what's at that? The, yeah. At the Ritz-Carlton. Oh, at the Ritz. Yeah, it's pretty oh, sweet. We, okay. We've upgraded in the last few years. Oh, but, you can't um, get much better than that. <laughs> and then we have a tea dance afterwards. Okay. But what's the, what's the actual Spring event? Fling? Yeah, what's it, that? We, we honor. Um, so last year we honored Cecilia Chung, um, which was incredible, a transgender activist in our community who's just been so uh, such an inspiration to, to all of us. And um, we honored um, Kate Kendall from okay. NCLR. Okay, but is the uh, the event itself is it is it a dance? Spring fling sounds like oh, a spring dance. Oh, spring fling is a sit down. It's actually a brunch, which oh, is really sweet okay. because it's okay. uh, oftentimes galas <laughs> or our dinners. But yeah. ours is really special because it's a brunch, okay. and then we have a tea dance, an afternoon tea dance afterwards. Okay. afterwards. But All it's right. our largest fundraising event, so it's okay. it's really uh, an exciting. And it's event. at the Ritz. It's at the Ritz. I've never been to the Ritz. I don't think I've been by there. Maybe I'll go. I hadn't before Fling was there. You so, hadn't either? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, but if I am if I am listening or watching and I want to donate, I just go to uh, your website, openhouse-sf.org, open and it's very obvious, hopefully, how to donate. It is. Okay. It right. is. And we encourage folks to also, if they know LGBTQ seniors, their neighbors, their friends, to tell them about 95 Laguna, and we have- Which um, is, again, the community center space. Ex well, the, um, the residence. 
Oh, that's the residents. The residents of okay. 79 units. And we're okay. really trying to get the word out so folks can join our um, our list to receive updates. And it's um, Open House is our website and then Join 95. So point being, there are still spaces, there are still units available. Yes. Th so the applications um, will most likely be available at the end of November, early December of this year. And then the lottery will take place a month after that. So okay. we're really trying to get the community involved to get as many LGBTQ seniors um, 62 and older okay. to apply for 50, for 95 Laguna. Yeah. Okay. And that one though uh, has the same also affordability, the yes. same uh, income requirement. So That's 62 and up, 50% of the average mean. AMI area AMI, median whatever income. Whatever it is, yes. area median and envelope. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. So get the word out to your friends, family, all of the above. Okay. The last thing I wanted to ask about in this part of our conversation, and then, like I said, we're, we're sort of out of time, but um, we talked about that particular volunteering program. Are there any other volunteer efforts? And again, how would I become a volunteer if I want? I just go to your website again, and it's hopefully obvious, or... And you can also always call us. We do okay. have a live person a live who person. actually answers the phone. Oh, wow. Very friendly. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, there are um, lots of lunches that folks can... Um, give of their time so we have a weekly lunch actually that people can volunteer to serve the seniors mm -hmm. um, we also have employee resource research bleh, ERGs employee resource groups who come in and who want to get involved with the open house we have groups of volunteers also serve lunch at our um, at our weekly lunches so okay. we encourage any you know you work for a corporate you know some corporate tech company and right, want to get involved for, yeah right, uh, right. volunteer opportunities we welcome the opportunity to to acculturate you to our city and get you acquainted with LGBTQ seniors. Okay. All mm -hmm. right. And you're just down the street from a lot of big tech giants that have moved into our city in the past <laughs> few years. So hopefully they're listening and watching as well. All right. So just to wrap up here, um, I'm curious, given the increased social acceptance, again, still lots of work to be done, but increased social acceptance in our society of LGBT people in general, um, Overall, are you optimistic about the future of LGBT seniors? I mean, is there is it sounds as if it's moving in the right direction, or is this really still just the beginning and there's just this vast amount of work to be done? How would you sort of characterize how you're feeling about the direction things are going, particularly for seniors, for LGBT seniors? Uh, I'm so positive and yeah? optimistic. Good. Absolutely, because Good. Open House is here to bring the community together, and I think I really believe in our community as taking, you know, obviously the San Francisco model, right? We take care of our own. And so it's about creating an opportunity for younger folks and multi-generational opportunities to, to support our seniors. And okay. I, I really believe that we can, we can change All right. aging for our, our elders. All right. I love it. And I hope so. Cause you know, it's not that far off. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I also love that we get to end on that note cause I didn't know what your answer would be. So I'm so glad that's your oh. answer. So thank you for that. Uh, and thank you for being here today. I just want to shout out thank one more time, openhouse-sf.org. And like I said, thank you not only for being here, but for all the work that you do, have done, are doing, and are going to continue to do, you personally and also your organization, because it's such important work, and I really appreciate it, and I know that so many other people appreciate it. So It's a privilege thanks to again. do this work. Thanks, Matthew. All right. Uh, that's all for today. Next week, author and adventure traveler Anne Sigmund will be here to discuss her in-progress memoir, Scrambling Back. Thanks again to today's guest, Open House's Director of Programs, Michelle Alcedo. And last but certainly not least, thank you for watching and listening. If you like the show, please share on social media and subscribe, rate, and review on YouTube, iTunes, and Google Play. 
That's the only way the word gets out, and I really appreciate your help. And for more about me, my website, of course, is matthewfelix.com and links to my social media books, including my new one, Out 1111, Porcelain Travels. Other podcasts and all the rest can be found there. If you have any comments, ideas for the show, or just want to say hello, I can be reached at felixonair at matthewfelix.com. Thanks again for listening and watching, and have a great week.